Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Daniel. Um, My wife, Mary Beth, and daughter Lizzie and I um, have had the privilege of living in Baltimore City for eight years now. Just had our eight-year anniversary recently. Um, And... uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, and uh, we've had the, the privilege of being welcomed and loved by you all for about a year and a half, so thank you for that. Um, I'm honored to read God's word this morning. This is John 12, um, 1 through 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag... He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This is God's word. Thank you, Daniel. And it has been a privilege and joy getting to know your family over the last year and a half as well. So we are halfway. Can you guys say we're halfway? All right. We are asking all of us each week to read the chapter in its entirety every day because there are so many things in the Gospel of John that we cannot cover. And with the baptism today, I tried to um, shorten the teaching, and it's been, it's been interesting. People are like, how short are you going to make it? And other people are like, you're not watering it down now, are you? It's like the tension of being a pastor. You know, you got to give people meat and milk at the same time. But before we jump into John 12, I need to say two things. One is just I want to speak a truth about one of the songs that we sang, all right? Um, we live in a world where God does not meet our expectations. Okay, I just want you guys to hear me when I say that is a true statement. We, God cannot, does not have the power to meet our expectations because not all of our expectations fit into his masterful will. So we can sing that God will never fail us, and that is a spiritual fact, but God will let you down because God doesn't want to always line up our expectations, okay? I think some of us need to just sit in that today because I don't want you to miss out on the power of this story in John chapter 12 because there is a huge tension between what we know God can do and what we believe God can do and what God is doing and our ability to understand it and our ability to also live in a world that God has defeated sin and death and has defeated so many things for us, but yet we still can walk away disappointed. 
And so I just want you guys to know there's room for that here today. And if any of you need prayer relating to anything that you experience today, there will be a prayer team in the back of the room. We do not do an altar call if you grow up to churches that everybody ran to the front. Our services are recorded, and we want to maintain your prayer privacy. So we send everybody to the back of the room so that you can pray in private with individuals around what God is doing in your life. And so today, if that's something that you need, please do so. The second thing I need to say is if you miss John chapter 11, you miss one of the biggest bombs John drops in his entire letter. So there are a lot of things that we know about Jesus because of the era in which we live. We know a lot of things about what happened in church history. We know a lot of things of what happened to the first century church. We know what happened to the disciples. We live in a post-resurrection, post-ascension. Like There's so much of Jesus' story that we already are living in, but for this group of people receiving this story and being in this story and in this moment and hearing Jesus for the first time, say, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was reshaping the entire way in our humanity, the way that we relate to time and eternity. We view it so linearly that it's like, oh, I live and then I die and then something's next. And what God is saying, though, that time, eternity, in me, it is all in the same. And so if you missed last week's teaching, I just want to encourage you to go back because if we're not careful, we will put expectations on God that really aren't in line with what he is wanting to do in and through us. And so John 11 is here for us, and we need to be it. Because what happened in John 11 became a story that just wouldn't stop. Do you guys have family stories? We have some family came into town this weekend because uh, my son is one of the ones being baptized here in just a little bit. We had about 30 minutes last night where it was non-stop family stories that just won't die. <laughs> There's a story from Ginger and I's wedding of, and we, and, and fortunately, Ginger's dad is with Jesus, and he's not able to power eye roll us right now, but if the veil is pulled back and you heard his voice, he'd be like, listen, I'm not even around. Why are you telling this story? But... Um, we had a situation where Ginger and I's first night of our honeymoon was in the hotel where our reception was. And so we got in a limo after the reception, rode around for an hour thinking everybody was going to be gone by the time we walked back into the lobby, hand in hand, smiling like, yes, finally, right? <laughs> About an hour into us being in the room, after we passed Ginger's dad, mom, and brothers in the lobby, as I'm carrying their sister and daughter up to our hotel room, right? Uh, I, the phone rings. And it's Ginger's dad. And he's like, can I get the dress so I don't have to drive back over here tomorrow? And I'm like, you're assuming she's out of the dress, <laughs> right? <laughs> Stories can be embellished, right? I believe I was saying it, but I didn't have the nerve to say it. But uh, so needless to say, I got to, on that night, take the dress that had recently come off and carry it down to the desk and hand it to her dad. So with that, that story in our family just won't die. 
just like I remember as a kid, my family loved, like, I, I grew up in a family that loved the wintertime. We loved going into the snow, and we would, we, we either had snowmobiles or we rented snowmobiles. We'd go to Garrett County, Maryland, and ride snowmobiles on trails, and we just loved that. But one day, my mom and I are back at the camper and at the, the big bonfire. It was like a freezing cold day, and next thing you know, my dad comes zipping up with my brother on it, and he's holding his head, and so when they were riding a trail following somebody else's path, they didn't realize there was a barbed wire line across the field. And my dad saw it at the last minute and raised his arm up, ripped the, sh the sleeve off of his jacket, and the wire caught my brother between his goggles and the helmet and ripped the line open on his forehead. But it was so cold, the blood froze to his forehead, and he didn't bleed like a crazy bleeder. And so that's another story in our family that when I'm around my prince side, that we, we just, we, we tell that story over and over and over again. And, uh, and so there's a lot. Like even my daughter's birth, I was in Jamaica when Ginger went into labor. And one of the best parts of that story I love to tell are the two ladies who refused to give me their plane tickets because they thought I left my pregnant wife in the U.S. and went on a trip to a resort by myself to Jamaica while she was getting ready. And she, they go, this is what you deserve. And I'm like, I'm on a mission trip. I've got 80 kids here. We've been serving the poor. And, uh, and, and they're like, oh, no, you're not, because the kids weren't with me because I had to leave in the middle of the night to go to the airport. And, and these ladies just ripped me one. And I'm like, that's not who I am. And they refused to let me get on the plane. But thank God I made it to the bedside 10 minutes before Lauren was born in my tie-dye Jamaican shirt that I had worn, that I had bought the day before in a market, and I had the ink dye on my body to prove it. So, But stories that have so much weight, so much weight in our lives, they just don't go away. Like there's just so much power in what, what happens in our lives. And John 12, I believe, is one of those moments. Because now, we're not really sure how long it was between Lazarus coming out of the tomb in John 11 to him being at the table with Jesus six days before the Passover. But let me reread a portion of this to you. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That, that's, that's worth telling again, right? Here, a, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, not surprisingly, and while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. When, then Mary took, that, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Like, remember, John loves in his writing to make parenthetical statements. He loves to tell the audience what happened and give an explanation because his writing was one of the first writings that was to Jews and Gentiles. So Jews had tons of backstory, Gentiles didn't. He's trying to help them understand what was going on. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now, let me jump down. And he said this because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself and to what was put into it. So let me just ask you guys, do you have a friend that just says it like it is? Like, they, John is just writing the facts. Sometimes you have people in your life that just can't cushion what's being said, but just come right out and say you're a thief. 
Like, no, wait a minute, I, I just took $2 out of your purse for, what? like, but no, they're like, no, you're a thief. Like, it's crazy, but this, this, this tone. But then Jesus says, leave her alone. It wasn't intended that she should save some perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So let me stop here just for a minute because I have taught through John's gospel on multiple occasions. I've taught through John 12 on multiple occasions. I have taught it from the perspective of the poor. The poor will not always, the poor you will always have with you, but I'm not always going to be with you. I've taught it from the perspective of Mary anointing Jesus' feet for burial. I've even talked about Judas and his story in this particular passage. But this is the first time that I've ever come to John chapter 12, and I have just been overwhelmed with the continued story of Lazarus. When you look at this particular message, John is saying so casually about this dinner that was designed to honor Jesus, but Lazarus begins to steal the show. When you look at this, most of the time when Jesus is present in a situation, he gets all the attention. Very seldom does Jesus um, uh, get outshined by anybody in the audience. It might be arguable that the lady that gave two mites in the temple one day was drawing attention away from Jesus. But for the most part, in any time, you would think if Jesus was present, nobody would be able to one-up him except for the fact that there's a man at the table who was dead. And now he's alive. Like, who's going to beat that? It doesn't matter how many thousands of people Jesus gave food to that were trying to find their way to Bethany. It doesn't matter the teachings that Jesus did in the temple that was helping them to make sense of all the things that Moses had ever taught them and bringing things to power. But there's a man at the table whom everybody knew was dead and became back to life. And he's reclining at this table. How can anybody compete with that? And so, meanwhile, verse 9, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him. Now listen, this is the phrase. But also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And if you're following along, I actually entitled this teaching, The Intention is on You. And this is a struggle for the church. This is a struggle for us at the gallery church right now, because many of us in the room right now, we want the attention to be on anybody but us. Why can't Jesus just carry Underwood it and take the wheel? Like, why can't Jesus in some way just show up in my friend group or where I work or in my neighborhood or where I am, and why can't he prove himself? And we are so intimidated by the fact that people look at us we're so held back by what God is doing that we fail to see that some people want to know who Jesus is, but they're more interested in why you believe and why you're at the table. Who could have ever overshadowed Jesus but Lazarus? Because the people around you, as much as they are interested in Jesus, they are most interested in you. There are people that are looking at you. There are people that need you. And in the process, they're going to get to know Jesus. But is your life compelling? Jesus might be the most interesting person on the planet, 
but he is not going to be the most compelling person to the people in your life. Now, we have a hard time in our theology with that because we have a theology of Jesus in his perfection, Jesus in all the ways in which he came and dwelt among us, God in flesh, God in person, and God desires for you and me is for the attention to be on us. And so we can have a theology that has got to be all about Jesus, but Jesus' theology is, is for now it's all about you and I. Because he wants us to be a display of God's greatness in the world. He doesn't want himself to be the display of greatness and us get out of the way. He's wanting to cast light on us so that the people around us see us clearly and they're very interested in who we are. And if we're not careful, what will happen is, is that we fall into a thinking that's like, oh, it only matters what people think about Jesus. But what matters is, is what people think about you, especially if they know you follow Jesus. And so with that, Colossians chapter 4, we talk about this in intentional living. Verses 5 and 6, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that they will have a right so that you will have a right response to everyone. You can look at Acts chapter 4. We don't have time to read all of Acts chapter 4. But Acts chapter 4 is about Peter and John on display in front of a whole bunch of people. Jesus isn't even visible at that point. It's Peter and John. And what Peter and John are doing and believing is what people are saying. I'm interested in what you're doing and believing, Peter and John. And then there's unnamed people in Acts 4 that are doing the same thing. And people that are unnamed are being drawn attention to. And because of the attention that's on them, people are radically changing their theological beliefs, radically thinking differently about the scriptures, and radically thinking about property ownership. And what is theirs and what is others and how do we take care of things together? Like, and it's not because Jesus is present in Acts 4. It's because people owned the responsibility of drawing the attention onto them. Paul even says to the church in Rome and to the church in Corinth at many occasions is that you need to live your life so well that the church benefits from it. Because the choices you make will detract from it or add to it. And then he goes on to say, and it's so important that you understand whether the church in Rome or the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, is that you are a tablet of stone that people are reading, and it's in their reading of you that they're going to understand that the Father sent the Son. So the attention on the early church and the, the way in which they functioned was Lazarus style, reclining at the table and and having the attention, even though Jesus was present. I love the fact, in church, you should be encouraged by this. I love the fact that God wants you and I in his story. God wants you and I to be a part of his difference making. He wants you and I to play a part in the redemption of the world. He wants you and I to be a part of his grace, of his hope, and his love that's being shared throughout all the world. Your life can be compelling. Your life can be. People are going to be like, because I see your faith, I want what you have. So we can say that Jesus has changed our life, but he can also change yours. 
Because when people see Lazarus, he's like, listen, I was dead and now I'm alive. We're not going to have that necessarily powerful story. But the early church had great belief in some things that I want to share this with you. But what little things do you and I need to do in our life to have a compelling story? Let me just give you a couple of things. Most people around you, including you, are struggling through life. Very few people in the room, there are a few of you that are like, man, life is like a pony and you're riding and you're just like, this is so great, right? But for the rest of us, it's like a wild bull and we are just being thrown around left and right and we're just praying we can hang on. That's what life feels like for the majority of us. And when somebody sees you riding life with joy and love and compassion, and the bull you're on is the same bull they're on, but yet you are, are exuding love and kindness and compassion and gentleness and other fruits of God's spirit, they're just like, wait a minute, I got to take notice. Because when I'm in life, I'm angry, I'm full of rage, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm, I've got all these things, but yet you, like, why are you in life exuding this joy and this love and this kindness to other people when you're having the same hardships that I'm having? You don't have to be smarter and more talented and more gifted. You just have to be alive. Romans 12, we don't have time to read it. Write it down, take notes, voice memo it to yourself. If you want to know what the expectation of our faith in Jesus Christ looks like in a nice little paragraph or in a nice little PDF file for you, Paul in Romans 12 says it to us. If you want to know what it looks like to grab the attention of the world around you and honor it for Jesus Christ, in verse 1, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. Verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of the world. He goes on in verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Form one body, verse 5, and each member belongs to one another and goes through a whole bunch of things for several verses about what being one looks like. And then he transitions to love and action. He goes, you must be sincere. You must be devoted to one another. Not kind to one another, not cordial to one another, but devoted. And devoted means when somebody's in trouble, you go to them. Like you actually train yourself so that we can be devoted. It's, it's not a, like a side effect of doing nothing. Like devotion means I am putting effort in to prepare myself to be the best brother in Christ that I can be to other people. I am being the best sister in Christ that I can be to other people. I want to be the best neighbor to the people around me. And that takes a level of devotion because everybody's riding a bull. Everybody is. We're strapped to the wildest life that, that anybody can. Like sin has just totally disrupted more than just nature and the world around us. It has corrupted human communication. And so everything about our life is a wild bull. And if we practice hospitality, bless those who persecute us, not curse them, if we rejoice, if we live at peace with everyone, if there is a discipleship of there's no enemy, I'm going to pray for them. Paul is getting at it in Romans 12. 
Verse 10 says this, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Why? The guy already died once. How brutal are these religious leaders that this guy has maybe been alive for a few weeks, maybe a month, who knows, maybe six months, three years, we don't really know, but whether it's a day or a week or months, like this guy is freshly alive and they're already thinking about a way to put him back in the ground. What harm could he possibly do? But here's the thing. With the attention on Lazarus, Lazarus become, became undeniable proof that Jesus was who he said he was. And so the world that doesn't like Jesus, if they see you living your life in such a way that is undeniable that Jesus is who he is, don't be surprised when other people don't care for that. But there is a difficult world out there, and we can make waves in a positive direction by saying that Jesus is the reason why in the chaos you find me a light, or the aroma of my life is something that's pleasing. He became a story as dangerous as Jesus. And Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. And after three years of ministering, they killed him. Like, what was Jesus doing that it only took three years for them to be so mad that they plotted with government, religious leaders, and all of that to plan a day for his execution? Like, and Lazarus was... He was alive maybe a week or two. Both of these men, Jesus and Lazarus, are in a situation where when we show the hope of the world, there's an enemy in this world that is also going to want to do to us what it did to Jesus Christ. Moving on. If your story is true, now listen, don't lie to people. If your story is true, it will change things for the people around you. Philippians 1 verses 21 says this, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This passage hits me differently, and I wish I could have time to read all of chapter 1 into chapter 2. But let me tell you this. The reason why after 15 years we could still live in Baltimore City with all that my children and my family has been through is that I don't fear death. Because if I'm meant to keep living, like somebody accidentally kills me and I'm out of God's timeline, he's proven that he can resurrect me. But if my time's up, he's proven that I'm going to be resurrected again. Like, I'm in a win-win. It doesn't matter what anybody does to me because it's Christ that lives. And it's difficult for us on many occasions to overcome the fear of our faith. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus proved in Lazarus' story, and he proved in his own story, that he has ultimate authority over death. And he also totally changed up the timeline so that we can be alive and dead at the same time. It's crazy. Like, he could just speak and we're back. Like, it's, it's, it's overwhelmingly powerful what God can do for us. So why do we fear anything? Lazarus was reclining at the table while they're around the house trying to figure out how to kill him. And he's like, well, hey, you kill me. He's right here. <laughs> what kind of story was Lazarus telling? Stepping into death and resurrection doesn't make your life better. It ultimately, many times, will just make your life more compelling. When you overcome your fear and you're willing to die for somebody else, I promise you, 
is not going to not hurt. But it will be compelling. Because Jesus' life is true. And when we mirror that in the world, it is going to bring life to others. So in verse 11, for on the account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Do you guys see what happened here in verse 11? It says, for on the account of him. Who's the him? It's Lazarus. So it's gone from it being Jesus and Lazarus was the him to now the him is Jesus or is Lazarus because the attention is now on Lazarus and now people are looking at him and now are saying, well, if, if this is God's story in you, then I'm going to believe in him. Your story can be as persuasive as Jesus. I would love for you to wake up every day and for you to feel that, that fact, that truth, is that people looking at you can ultimately make the choice of believing in Jesus because they met you. I've heard some people say, oh, it's not me, it's God. Eh, it is you. We got to stop lying about that. Because you were the one that made the choice to study the scriptures. You're the one that made the commitment to pray. You're the one that's given. You're the one that's sacrificed. You're the one that's been the one walking out in faith. And Jesus is saying, would you stop giving me the credit? You're actually putting effort into your faith. Why would you not expect the attention to be drawn on you? Because you're different because you're putting in the work. You're devoted. Now the answer shouldn't be, yeah, I'm great. Like, Lazarus wasn't there, like, taking credit for his resurrection. He's like, listen, he did that, but let me tell you about my life now. Like, he wasn't taking credit for something that he didn't own, but he was alive. And he had a story. And you and I have the same opportunity to say, you know what, I once was, but now I am because of Jesus. Now, Lazarus had a pretty good one. But there were a lot of other disciples that didn't have Lazarus' story, but yet they had power. Like, we were with our deacons training a couple weeks ago, and I love the passion in which Bryant, who's one of our lead deacons, shares the, the, the Stephen story in Acts 6. And when you talk about this, you realize that there were seven deacons appointed, but Stephen was, was highlighted by those that wanted to go against Jesus, and they didn't stone all of them, they just stoned him. The other six, what were they thinking? Like, were they like, oh, wow, do we quit? Do we resign? No, they, they, they went all in. Stephen didn't get the long life, but he had a testimony right up until the very end. And even in it, he's like, God, don't hold this against them. Because who? He was modeling Jesus Christ. It's very likely that he may have witnessed or seen Jesus from the cross say, Father, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if we're not careful, we're only going to look at some of the characters in the story, not all the characters in the story. And Lazarus says to you and I, own your story because the attention is on you. We need to be okay with the attention being on us. Your story, your life on display for the glory of God. 
If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. So we're going to ask the worship team to come back up and our baptism candidates are going to go and change their clothes so that they can be ready to go. Um, but the rest of you, I want you to hear me when I say this. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to be a, I once was, but now I am now. For the opportunity for the people that are looking at you to have an opportunity to believe in Jesus. You turning your life over to Jesus is because we need forgiveness of our sins. Like when we are riding through life without Jesus, we make a bigger mess. But Jesus doesn't take away the bull he changes the bull rider. And you and I need life change because when we are left to ourselves, we can do great harm. Jesus is forgiving us our sins. He's cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And the only thing that you and I need to do is just to say thank you. He's done it. He's forgiven. He's made a way. And so if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I just want to offer you a simple one-sentence prayer and just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Let that be the starting point. Our prayer team that's going to be by the Lord's tables, if that's you, go and tell them that you said that prayer. We want to pray with you and to celebrate that with you. Um, and if some of you in here, like, um, I, I, I've prayed that prayer, but I've been deflecting the attention. You might need to go back to the prayer team today and say, I am so uncomfortable with the attention being on me, but I know that's the next step in my faith. I know it. I have got to be devoted in my faith to Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching, and may God's grace and peace be with you.